investing is a really important thing for long-term financial security. Uh, but it's also really complicated. And, and at least I believe it doesn't need to be as complicated as we've made it. Hello, and welcome to Byside Views at TD Securities. I'm your host, Andres Rincon. I've been looking forward to our fourth episode for some time now, in part due to our guest leading the largest ETF issuer in the world, but also because of his connection to Canada. So without further ado, today we have the pleasure of welcoming Salim Ramji, Global Head of iShares and Index Investments, and also a member of the Global Executive Committee at BlackRock. Salim, thank you for joining us today. Andres, it's great to be here, and thank you for thank you for having me on your show. Salim, let's start with your roots. I believe you earned a degree at UFT in economics and politics, and from there you've moved on. And now you head iShares, the largest ETF issuer in the world. I think you manage three point two uh, trillion in assets, one hundred twenty million customers, thirteen hundred ETFs. So, can you walk us through your journey uh, to iShares? Sure. I, I mean, if I were to, to describe my career uh, uh, journey in a word, it would be windy. Uh, and so my, my first job was actually in the Himalayas, and I was working for a microfinance organization. Uh, and then I became a corporate lawyer, and I practiced in London and in Hong Kong. And then for a dozen years or so, I was a management consultant based here in New York, uh, focusing in on asset management. Uh, and for the past decade or so, I've been here at, at, at BlackRock. Uh, and if I'm, um, uh, I guess if there's a theme somewhere underneath the windy, uh, kind of discussion that we just had or the windy path, uh, it's really around reinventing oneself. And, uh, I've certainly had to do that in each of the various careers, uh, that I've had. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that really excited me to join BlackRock 10 years ago, uh, because the firm is still in the scheme of it, a pretty young firm. Uh, and it is constantly reinventing itself. Uh, and, you know, even if I think about something like iShares, uh, which I've been leading for the past four or five years, uh, it's twice the size uh, that it was just four or five years ago. But I think more importantly, it's a totally different business today than it was four or five years ago. And I think it'll be a totally different business four or five years from now. Uh, and And some of that just keeps going back to this kind of ability to constantly reinvent both as a uh, as a professional, but in the businesses we're part of and and keeping an eye on what's going on in markets and with clients and an ecosystem as a whole. So uh, that's a if there's a theme there, it's about reinvention, even if, uh, uh, you know, the journey itself has been a pretty windy one. So, Salim, I have to ask you, what's in the waters of Tanzania? I believe you grew up in Tanzania and I know another uh, executive, obviously, our CEO that also grew up in Tanzania. So, Tell us a little bit how uh, of that background and and how we all ended up in Canada. So it's yes, a, exactly. I, I was born in I was born in Tanzania, just like uh, Riaz was, uh, and I emigrated to Canada uh, uh, like a lot of people from East Africa around that period of time. Uh, I, I I was fortunate in a couple uh, in a couple of ways. Uh, uh, I was fortunate that um, uh, Canada was such an open and welcoming uh, society. I think it still is. Uh, that it allowed immigration and it allowed people from from all over the world uh, who wanted to come here to to come here. And I had a great childhood. I had a great time growing up. I, I still feel Canadian today. Uh, and uh, and I think that's part of the story. 
Uh, I think I was also fortunate, which is unlike Riaz, who ended up in Red Deer. Uh, I ended up in, in Vancouver and then Victoria. And I mean, no offense to the good people of Red Deer, but I think, uh, and I'm certainly partial, uh, but I think uh, Vancouver and Vancouver Island was a was a fantastic place to grow up. And so I, I think it just speaks to, you know, Andres, what a, uh, a diverse and, and, and welcoming society Canada is, that people can come from all over the world and, uh, and they want to come to Canada. And I think that um, Canada has done an amazing job in terms of building uh, a very Canadian and multicultural fabric. And I think Ray has been a beneficiary of that, and so have I. There are a vast number of ETFs now in the world, and many of them are indexed ETFs. So I guess the question is, is there still space to innovate in the index ETF space? Oh, yeah. I, I think we're still in the early days of innovation. I, I mean, the very first ETF was created in Canada back in 1990. Uh, it still exists. It's an iShares ETF. Uh, and that there are now over a thousand options for Canadians to invest in ETFs. But I think that what, what's the most exciting thing is all of the new areas of investing that ETFs are expanding into. And it's not just index investing. We've got active investing uh, within ETFs as well. Uh, uh, we've expanded into um, whole new categories uh, 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 of, of markets and of countries. Um, that were otherwise really hard to access or really expensive to access that we're now able to do so through ETFs. And so on a relative scheme of things, um, ETFs are still a pretty young technology. Uh, you know, they're 33 years old. The mutual fund's about 100 years old. And, and I think there's plenty of room for expansion and for innovation, um, really to help people access markets all over the world. And they could, those could be uh, markets you can access through indices. They could be markets you can access through active management. But, but we really see the ETF as being a technology that helps people access investing. And it's just a, a, a way more efficient, a way more transparent, way more cost-effective way in which to invest. But it can wrap um, virtually any public market security all around the world and, and can use uh, a whole variety of different investment styles underneath it. So I, I think we're in the early days of innovation, Andres, not, uh, not, not, not in, the, in the middle of it. Well, that's good. It speaks uh, to the longevity of my career, I guess, in ETFs. So that's good. To, that's, <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> that's good to hear. So, uh, you know what I find really interesting about you, your role as global head of iShares is that you have a bird's eye view of what's happening in the market. You see yeah. what strategies are working, where the money is going, different regions, different ETFs. So, can you, from an iShares point of view, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the challenge challenges you're facing, and also the next leg of growth? Yeah, so look, the, the next leg of growth um, is, uh, is always a really exciting thing. And, and there are many different ways around products and different product segments. But maybe if I can focus on two of the client segments that are really driving growth of ETFs and of iShares all around the world, and I think also in Canada, uh, that uh, one of them is around the growth of fee-based financial advisors and financial advisory all over the world. And what we found is that when an advisor moves to a fee-based or fiduciary practice, they tend to focus less on the product and more on the portfolio. And as they focus on the portfolio, what they tend to do is that they tend to use um, more and more ETFs as part of their portfolio construction process. Sometimes it's for basic asset allocation. Sometimes it's to make tactical allocations to certain countries or certain sectors. Sometimes they're really interested in a theme like electric vehicles, for example, uh, that an ETF can capture in a really effective and efficient way. 
But, uh, but, but whether it's any of those or all of those, uh, that what happens when a financial advisor moves to a fee-based practice is that they use more ETFs as part of their portfolios. Typically, 50% of their portfolios uh, will be composed of ETFs. Um, and the other half uh, will often be composed of active management or individual securities or other pieces which can complete the portfolio. And that's been a huge trend all over the world. Uh, it's true in the United States. Uh, I just got back from uh, Europe over the past couple of weeks, and, and fee-based financial advisory is, is growing significantly there. Um, and I also think it's it's really picking up in a in a meaningful way uh, across financial advisors in Canada. It sure is. I remember. Sorry to interrupt. I I remember a couple just a couple of years ago we had a large amount of our advisors were transactional, and now a lot of them have become fee based, and we've seen similar trends here in Canada. Yeah, and you know clients like it more, financial advisors like it more, um, and uh, and it allows them to really, as I said focus less on the product, more on the portfolio. And in focusing on the portfolio, they're able to spend more time with clients and there are lots of other benefits uh, that come as a result uh, uh, of that. Uh, and I'd say the second big trend is all about the growth of digital wealth all across the world. Uh, and I know TD is a leader in that here in Canada, but if I kind of go back to my example of, you know, when I was in Germany just a few weeks ago, uh, the growth of digital wealth platforms in Germany has been amazing. Uh, you know, four years ago, you would have just a few hundred thousand Germans uh, investing on these digital platforms into ETF savings plans. Uh, uh, and as of today, you're now having several million Germans uh, investing in this way. Uh, and the reason why Germany is such an interesting example is because they historically never really had an equity investing culture uh, like we do in Canada, like we do in the United States. And so this was really transforming um, a nation that was historically a good nation of savers into a nation of investors. And I think it's the combination of having something like a simple, easy way to invest, like ETFs have, plus digital wealth platforms, uh, which have grown um, all across Europe, much as they have been in Canada and in the United States. And I think the combination of that is really powerful for first-time investors. You know, we've got something like 40 million people who invest in iShares uh, uh, around the world, uh, I think that number should be 100 million by the end of the decade. And a lot of that growth is going to come from first-time investors um, making their first investment in an ETF, hopefully an iShares ETF, uh, and using digital platforms because it's um, it's a simple, easy way to start investing for the first time. Yeah, you're right. I, I guess if, uh, if the whole world converges to what you see in the US and Canada in terms of uh, usage of ETFs and implementation, that number can increase quite rapidly across the world. Yeah, and it's and we're seeing it in country after country, uh, where you can bring these technologies to bear and 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 just make it easier and more affordable for people to invest. They're doing so because it's like investing is a really important thing for long term financial security, uh, but it's also really complicated, and, and at least I believe it doesn't need to be as complicated as we've made it. And, and I think ETFs are a great simplifier. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're not just low cost, but they bring kind of better transparency and more convenience to investing. And I think if that helps more and more people enter investing for the first time, I think that's really good for their long-term financial security. So we touched on equity ETFs, and we didn't really touch yeah. so much on fixed income ETFs. And obviously, it's one of the fastest growing areas, but there's still a very small part of the market. I think it's only 2% of the bond market. And That's right. 
But as, you know what's really fascinating? Um, fixed income ETFs outflowed uh, or had more inflows than, um, than equity ETFs last year in Canada, and they're on trend to do so this year. The gap is actually widening in Canada. So having that in mind, I'm sure you've seen something similar in the U.S. How do you see the adoption and the growth of fixed income ETFs in the U.S.? Or globally, yeah, and 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 maybe Andres, I'd love to talk about it globally because I, I do think the the most exciting part of the whole ETF business, certainly in iShares, and I think all around uh, the industry, is what's happening in fixed income ETFs. Uh, and the numbers you say are 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 pretty astounding, right? Because it's two percent of the bond market, which is small, um, but the category also crossed two trillion dollars uh, just last month, which is a you know awfully big number. Now, we think that number is going to triple by the end of the decade to be a $6 trillion market. But even then, it'll still only be 4 or 5% of the total bond market. And I think what's happening underneath is something very different than what happened over the history of equity and equity ETFs. Because what bond ETFs are doing is that they're really taking the bond market from the analog age to the digital age. Like, it's really hard to buy an individual bond. Uh, and that's true if you're an individual investor and you're trying to find a, you know, a particular QCIP online. Um, it's really difficult to, you know, near impossible, depending on the country you live in. It's also really hard if you're a financial advisor um, to sort through the thousands of different options and variants of bonds. And I think what bond ETFs are doing is that they're making it just as easy to buy a bond as it is to buy uh, an equity. Um, but what they're also doing is they're offering incredible choice. We've got 500 bond ETFs across iShares all over the world. So you can get virtually any slice of the bond market that you're looking for across, um, uh, across the yield curve, across different credit qualities, across different geographies. Uh, and then they're making it easier to transact, cheaper to transact, and they're enhancing the liquidity of the bond market itself. So you have this, like I think, a technological change that's happening in the bond market. And it's being catalyzed by the growth and the growth of choice and the growth of usage of bond ETFs, which is a really, really novel application, uh, which, which makes us really optimistic, uh, which is why we really believe that you're going to see a, a pretty big category tripling um, over the course of this decade. And then I think the second thing is really just the, the shifts that have been happening in the yield environment over the course of the past couple of years all over the world. And, uh, you know, we, uh, BlackRock had started out uh, as a bond firm. And we have a number of people here who've been in the bond markets for decades. And they're talking about this as being a once in a generation opportunity to invest in bonds. Uh, and so uh, uh, whether it's kind of enhancing the yield of a, of a well-constructed portfolio or whether it's um, finding new ways to get income out of a total portfolio, I think there's so many different applications in advisors' portfolios, in individuals' portfolios, and in institutional portfolios um, to think about uh, the role of bonds, which wasn't true four or five years ago, but it's really true today. So I think it's these it's these two effects: the the technological applications, which are making it easier and cheaper and more transparent, more affordable, and just it's a really good time to be investing in fixed income uh, uh, today relative to what uh, might have been the case four or five years ago. Uh, and both of those are fueling our optimism and, and a sense of dynamism around what's happening in the bond markets and what's happening in particular in bond ETFs. I wanted to touch base on model portfolios. This, uh, model portfolios are huge in the US. Uh, they bring a lot of flows and, and activity. 
to iShares and a lot of ETF issuers in the US. And I understand you just launched some in Canada. Can you explain how model portfolios work in the US? Yeah, look, we, we just launched last month um, uh, a series of model portfolios in Canada. Uh, and again, we see this as part of a global trend, not just something that's been happening in the US, uh, but is happening in the US, is happening now in Canada, is happening across Europe, and uh, and is really changing the way in which wealth management, particularly fee-based wealth management, which we talked about earlier. And at the core of it, uh, it's really giving advisors a option um, to, uh, to be able to uh, uh, create or co-create or customize a model portfolio for a client. Uh, and so using ETFs or, or sometimes using ETFs and other instruments, uh, you can be able to uh, give advisors the option um, to create a, a balanced or uh, the right portfolio for their clients um, uh, in an easy and effective way. And, and what we found, uh, and we have history of this in the United States um, over the past several years, is that when advisors or fee-based advisors move to model-based practices, first, they can scale their practices much more effectively. So they can spend a lot more time with clients and a lot more time um, uh, uh, working their client relationships and new client acquisition. Second, clients themselves end up being happier because they're getting a much more consistent investment exp uh, experience. Uh, they're investing more money, often orders of magnitude more money in models than they were when it was just an individual product sale. And they're holding on to those assets for a much longer period of time rather than just um, um, uh, turning them over pretty rapidly. So the client experience tends to be better. Uh, and for us within iShares, uh, we love it too because it's a, a great way to build on the portfolio and the portfolio allocation pieces at scale. So in the United States, you know, half of our flows today uh, are coming from the growth of model portfolios uh, that we're building with financial advisors. Uh, and we're not quite at that number in Europe, but we're very close. Uh, and I'm very optimistic uh, with the launch you just referenced in Canada uh, that give us a few years and, and it'll very much be the same there. Because I think what it's really moving towards is how do you help clients build a great portfolio? Uh, and more, more and more of these portfolios are being built. Um, with sizable ETF components. And if we can play a role in helping it make it easier for advisors to scale their practice, then we're really excited about that. And you touched on the financial advisor, but uh, the retail investor can also be a user of some of these models. And we've seen- Absolutely. And we've seen the retail investor uh, massively increase their activity in, in the US and also Canada. Perhaps you can touch a little bit about the evolution of the retail investor in your products. The first time investor- uh, uh, you know, and, and over the past few years uh, in the media, you'll read a lot about meme stocks. You'll read a lot about kind of the, the, the of retail that, yeah. investor and, 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 and all of those things. Um, but the underlying truth, at least when you look at the U.S. data, is that's about 1% of trading activity. 65% of retail trading activity is purchases of ETFs. Uh, so when you look at what's really happening amongst the retail investor, more and more of them are really just turning to ETFs for an investment choice. As for some of them, it's a broad-based, uh, you know, fund like a S&P 500 fund. Some of them are really interested in certain themes like uh, electric vehicles or clean energy or uh, particular themes that can be captured through an ETF. Um, and they're starting to move more and more towards model portfolios and balanced portfolios using models. But I think 
The bigger trend of model portfolios is really amongst financial advisors. Uh, and while there is usage among retail investors of model portfolios, the bulk of it is financial advisors. And for financial advisors, as I said, its main appeal is that it allows them to scale their practice. Their clients like it better because then they can spend more time with the advisor about their own financial plans, life goals, broader goals, and they know that their investments are sound and consistent. Uh, and as I said, they then tend to put more money to work. They tend to keep it for longer. And so it works out well for, for everyone in the system. But the, the model portfolio growth has really been driven by financial advisors. And yes, it's happening amongst direct investors too. But most of what direct investors are buying in ETFs tend to be you know, broad-based indices or you know, certain themes that they tend to be captivated by, like clean energy or, or electric vehicles or things like that. Salim, we've run out of time, and I wish we could uh, have this conversation for much longer. But really, I do appreciate your time in joining Byside Views today. And so thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me, Andres. It's been great to be here. And to our listeners, uh, thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Byside Views at TD Securities. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For more thought leadership content, visit tdsecurities.com and follow us on LinkedIn for all the latest TD Securities updates. For relevant disclaimers to this series, please refer to the episode page on our website.